One of the fundamental beliefs of Christianity, a core belief of Christianity, is that Jesus is worthy, fully worthy, of all of our trust, all of our worship, and all of our obedience. We embrace this as Christians. We hold it to be true. And one of the tough parts of the Christian life is that it's entirely possible to believe something in your mind and have a hard time feeling the emotions that should go along with that. We're commanded to rejoice in the Bible. We're commanded to have joy over these things. We're commanded to tremble before the greatness of God. And well, it's all too easy to believe that he is worthy of these things and have trouble feeling them. But that is what the world needs. The world needs Christians who not only believe these truths and not only walk in obedience to these truths, but who burn with a love for Jesus Christ. As the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. We need help doing that. We need help feeling the right feelings that go along with the truth. That's part of having our hearts made new. And thank God it is part of the work that he does through his word. It's part of the work that he's going to do today, I pray, through his word. We are going to look at a story that's uh, a joyful story. It's a happy story. And it is a story that is written in a way, such a way as to guide our hearts through all the right emotions that we ought to feel in the great moments of the Christian life and that we will feel when our Lord Jesus returns. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if your trust and hope is in him for salvation, we're going to talk a lot about the promises of God today. And my prayer is that he would use this word to awaken your heart full of emotion, love, and affection for your Savior, Jesus. And if you are here today and could not say that you're a believer, you couldn't say you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, I want you to know that we are going to talk a lot about God's promises today. We're going to outline many of them. We're going to cherish many of them together. And I want you to know that these are promises that are not yours yet, but are available to you freely. The first of them that you must understand is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offers to you forgiveness for your many sins freely, only upon the occasion of faith and trust in him. If you would trust him, his death, which pays for the sin of all of those who trust in him, his death would count as your hell as the punishment that you deserve. And his resurrection would guarantee your resurrection on the last day, a resurrection to receive the promises that we are going to talk about. So as we walk through this, if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds really nice. Well, it is right in front of you. You can lay hold of it and take it. All that you must do is place your trust and your faith in Jesus. Turn from whoever and whatever you believe you are and trust and follow him alone. Now, a lot of people wait till the end to make that call. And and many times I do as well. Today, I feel it's appropriate to make it right now. If your trust is not in Jesus, I call you now. Place your trust and your faith in him. Don't even wait till the end of this message. Go ahead and do it now. And then as we walk through all these precious promises, you can rejoice with us knowing that they are yours. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. And as you're turning there, I'll preface the story for you. So the story here is that back in Genesis chapter 12, God reached out to a man named Abram, who we now call Abraham, because along the way, God changed his name to Abraham. And he made a very great promise to him. The shortest summary is that his descendants would become a great nation. 
The trouble was, the tension in the story was that in order for your descendants to become a great nation, first of all, you have to have descendants. And second of all, you got to have a land that they can dwell in. A nation is people dwelling in a land under one ruler. You can't have that if you don't have any children or a land. And Abraham has neither. He and his wife are both advanced in years. His wife is past childbearing years, and they have had no children together. And so the plot tension throughout this whole section is... Is God even going to give them any children so that he has kept this promise? Along the way, there are many adventures that we'll talk about. Uh, it's 25 years that have gone by. A year prior to this, God visited Abraham yet again. He visits him many times through the story, and he tells him, okay, in a year, it's going to happen. Your wife is going to have a son. So 25 years, they've spent in anticipation, hoping that God would indeed keep his promise and that Sarah would bear a son. And now we read in verse 21, a closing to this great section of the scriptures. Let's read it and rejoice together. Genesis 21, I'll read verses one through seven. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Anyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said that to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The words of the Lord. So we have in these words an encouragement that is fit for this season that we are walking through as a church. And here is the encouragement. God's promises feel slow in coming, but when he fulfills them, they are worth the wait. You could maybe say the point that I want to herald before you today in one sentence, and that is that when the Lord returns and keeps his long-awaited promises, his people will feel deeply satisfied, amazed with disbelief, and utter delight. The story is a window into the way that we will feel when our Lord returns for us and the promises are fulfilled. Sarah and Abraham see a promise fulfilled and they feel things. And the author tells the story in a way that's designed to make you feel things. In that are windows into how you will feel one day, windows into the the, the hope you can place in the return of your son Jesus. For when he comes, it will be a glad and rejoicing day. So let me outline first the way that God keeping his promises emphasized here, and then we'll talk about the feelings that this author leads you to feel, which are pictures of how we will feel when our Lord returns for us. First, in verses one and two, you can see emphasized three times that God is keeping his promise here. In the first verse, it's said twice, right? In the second half of each phrase, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, right? Boom, as he had said. And then it goes ahead and says it again, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. He's catching the emphasis here. This author wants you to notice God is keeping his promise. And he's not done. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So this doesn't need to be said three times for you to see what's going on here, but the author goes ahead and repeats it a second time and a third time. What's he doing here? Well, he is drilling home this message, this point of emphasis. God has kept his promise. For 25 years, Abraham and Sarah have believed that God was going to give them a child. And through that child, many descendants. And at times they doubted and did terrible things. Many times they held fast to the promise. Now what has changed is after 25 years, their faith has become sight. Now Sarah is holding a son, miraculously born to a woman who is past childbearing years and saying, God keeps his promise. The story is changed now forever, for God has proven that he keeps his promise. And the picture that paints is where our three points come from. The pictures of the things that Sarah feels in this moment, and the things that a reader is led to feel by the author, that's where our three points of delight and surprise and wonder and satisfaction come from. We will feel these things when the Lord returns to keep his promise. The first point, when God keeps his promises to you, Christians, you will feel a deep satisfaction. Uh, That point comes from the way this story interacts with everything that was before it. When you have to wait for something and then you receive it, there's a deeper satisfaction that comes with that. Instant gratification is just not as big as delayed gratification. Uh, You might compare this to a child who asks, maybe right now, asks his parents for something for Christmas, right? Mid-August, here we are, school year is starting, and this child has to wait through August and through September and October and November and go uh, go through Thanksgiving and go through the whole holiday season and go through all of Advent here at the church. And finally, after half of a school year, Christmas Day comes. And the child wakes up and runs downstairs to see if indeed the parents have gotten the gift that he asked for. And there it is. It's in wrapping paper, but he can see the form of it. And he knows there it is. And with his parents' permission, he tears it open and has the gift he has waited so long for. Now, why is that so very satisfying? It's more than just receiving a good thing. It's that he had to wait for it. And plenty went on while he was waiting for it. In the same way, let's think of a military family who has to be separated for, say, 18 months as the father is shipped off to war. And they Skype a little bit, but the signal is never good, and they try to talk on the phone, and the signal is in and out, and sometimes he's able to make the calls, and sometimes he's not able to make the calls. And for a year and a half, this family waits to be reunited. And finally, the day comes when they go down to the base together, and mom has the kids all around her, and they see the airplane come and land at the base, and they see soldiers in uniform start to step out, and one that doesn't look familiar, and another comes and steps out and doesn't look familiar, and then they see their father, her husband, step out of the plane and walk down the steps and wrap his arms around them. You've seen this on TV many times. Some of you have lived it out. It is so satisfying because you have to wait so long for it. Well, that's what Abraham and Sarah have gone through. It was Almost half of Genesis ago, like half of what we have read so far, is this story of Abraham and Sarah waiting for this promise. It was back in chapter 12 that God made this promise to them. 
I first stood before you and read that promise and proclaimed it to you in December. Can you believe that? Eight months ago, God made this promise in the way that we read it, at least, to Abraham and Sarah. And at that point, we had no idea the adventures we would be going through as a church. There were a few people in Wuhan in China who had a mysterious cough that they didn't understand. And now the world has been changed, and here we are out here, and there's been all kinds of twists and turns until then in our church life, just as we have walked through this story. Well, even more so for Abraham and Sarah, it's been 25 years in that time, the adventures that they have are just, I mean, it's amazing. They, they go off to Egypt and tell that lie, and Sarah gets taken into the harem, and God rescues them, and Abraham and Lot separate, and then Lot gets kidnapped by this great army, and Abraham has to go and rescue them. And then they get this terrible idea to try to do the surrogate motherhood thing with their servant, and that blows up and backfires terribly. I mean, all kinds of adventures, twists, and turns in the road, and a quarter of a century has gone by. And finally, we read, God visited Sarah just as he had said, just as he promised in the time of which God had spoken to Abraham. There's closure there. There's fulfillment there. And if you read through that story, you can feel it as a reader. The author leads you. He builds up that tension and finally resolves it. That's a picture, that, that sense of closure you get as you read that story is a picture of something, what you will feel when God fulfills the many promises he has made to us as a people. They're long awaited in their coming. And many of you are wondering, how much longer will it be until my faith becomes sight? I have been through so much. There have been so many adventures, so many winds in the path, so many things that you did not expect to happen. And the wait has been so much longer than you expected. But when the day comes, you will be all the more satisfied because you had to wait so long for it. And because you went through so much adventure to get there. This is just one way in which God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, building up more and more satisfaction for us when we finally receive the promise. Christian, when the Lord fulfills his great promises to you, you will have waited long, but you will be all the more satisfied as a result. That's our first point today. I'll touch for a second on verse four. You can see in verse four, Abraham fulfills the commandment to have Isaac circumcised on the eighth day. And the theme is repeated just as God had commanded him, right? So this time it's not God fulfilling the promise. It's Abraham fulfilling the commandment that was given to him. God keeps his promises to us. God makes his promises to us. We keep his commandments. That is our role in the story. I would love to go into detail into that, but I will pass on and we'll go to verses five through seven. A second thing that you will feel when the Lord appears and keeps his promises to you is an amazed disbelief. You will wonder, how can this be with a glad smile on your face? We see this in verses 5 and 7. In 5, you see the emphasis on Abraham's age, which is put there to remind you this is a really amazing thing that happened, right? Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 
It's meant to make you stop and say, oh yeah, wow, that is amazing. I can't believe that he did that. Wow, a hundred-year-old man has his first son with his wife. Wow. And Sarah herself was 90 at the time, past the years of childbearing, barren while she was in the age of childbearing, but now has a child. And then you see it in verse 7 as well. You see it in Sarah's words. She just, with wonder, she says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Right? Like, who would have thought? There she is holding the child. They've been holding out on hope in this for 25 years now. She holds it and she looks at the boy and says, who would have thought? Wow. And yet, here it is, if I weren't looking at this little boy, I don't think I could believe that God had done this. People will hear this and they will laugh because this is unbelievable. And in the same way, when the Lord returns, I mean, think of some of the imagery that Revelation gives us. Every eye will see him. I don't think that one's in Revelation, but every eye is going to see him when he returns. With the words of his mouth, he is going to strike down the nations. What? powerful words are these that can, I mean, who can get up and speak and strike down armies and nations? Well, he will do that when he returns. And when he does this, when he comes and we see his glory and he begins to fulfill all these promises, we will be so amazed. And we'll be saying things like what Sarah said. We will be saying, who who would have thought that it would be this amazing? Who would have expected that his coming would be like this? I mean, we will just burst with amazement. And the reason for this is what the scriptures tell us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of a man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You start receiving these things and they are going to be beyond your imagination. We will try in a moment to imagine some of these blessings coming true And whatever we imagine, it won't be big enough. It won't be grand enough. We will still have our minds blown and we will stand, sit, bow something in amazement and say, who would have said? I who have made it my business to proclaim these promises, I will say, who would have said? Who would have thought that it would turn out this amazing? When Jesus returns and keeps his promises, Christian, you will feel the amazement of disbelief. Not unbelief, but wonderful disbelief. And on top of that, you'll feel a third thing. You will feel overwhelming delight. Warmth and delight will well up in your soul, affection and love for Jesus. Just sheer happiness at being with him will be yours. We see this in two ways in our story today. The first is in verse 3, in which Abraham names his son Isaac. And you can see at the end of the verse where Isaac is named, uh, your Bible may have a footnote there. Mine has a footnote there. Many of yours do too. And the footnote will tell you what the name means. The name means he laughs. And in Hebrew, it wasn't like you're named this, which means this. Like you actually got named the thing, like a person that's named joy or charity. He was named, he laughs. And his mom was named princess, and his father was named father of a multitude. That's what Abraham means. So they named this boy, he laughs. 
And a lot of times when children are born in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, uh, they will be given a name that has a very, uh, a very foretelling meaning. There's a lot of power in the name. And then very often the mother, after he's born, will say something that is very fateful for the child or for the meaning of the child's birth. And Sarah does this in verse 6. She says, God has made laughter for me. He's named He Laughs. And she says, God has made laughter for me. And everyone who hears will laugh over me. We don't know when this happens in the story. Maybe it's right after the boy is born and Abraham takes the child and lays him on Sarah's chest and says his name is Isaac, or maybe it's after the circumcision. It really doesn't make it clear, but there are many moments, if you've had children, you know of these moments of just bliss when the child is born. There are plenty of moments of sleep deprived frustration as well, but there are moments, you know, the baby is just born and you hold it for the first time and there's just a peace and a bliss and a happiness. And somewhere in that delight of seeing and holding the child, she hears his name is Isaac and she just smiles and says, how fitting, how fitting that he would be named laughter for God has made laughter for me in this moment. And anyone who hears, that's us hearing of this today, anyone who hears will laugh over me, will well up with delight at the birth of this child. Can you see the delight? Can you hear the delight in her voice? If you can, it is just a small window into the way that you will feel when the Lord comes for you. His people will be filled with happiness and delight at his coming. It will be greater than a child's laugh, greater than a perfect stake, greater than the perfect crescendo at the symphony. When he comes, Christian, your heart will burst with delight. That's the windows we get into how we'll feel when he comes and keeps his promises. When our faith becomes sight as it did for Abraham and Sarah that day, we will feel the satisfaction of receiving something we have waited a long time for and been through a lot to get there. We will feel the wonder and amazement of things that we can hardly believe happening before our eyes. And we will feel utter delight in the promises that he gives as we hold them in our hands. The scripture teaches that all these promises we have as the people of God come to us through Jesus himself. There is not one blessing you have waiting for you in heaven that Jesus did not secure for you. This is said in Ephesians 1, where it says that uh, in him, the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's in Jesus that he's given us those blessings. It's also said in 1 Corinthians 1.20, which says that all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus Christ, in this person. It's when he comes that we'll receive these promises. It's through his work that we have received him, through the grace that he has given us, the work that he has done on the cross, that we receive these many things. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time together is just lay some of these promises before you. Just make clear what some of the promises you will receive are. And then we'll consider how those three feelings will be true when we receive those promises. So let's look first at the promise we have of receiving a new body. The Lord promises that when he returns, we will receive a better, new, imperishable body, which we will dwell in. 
This is made clear in Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'll read two verses for you. It's the last two verses of the chapter, so you may just turn to chapter 4 and back up a little bit. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he did not have a, a zombie Frankenstein body with you know, bandages and wounds all over him. Uh, no, he had a perfected and glorified body. The scars and the hole were still there, but in some wonderful, glorified way, he didn't walk around haggard and just barely moving, but glorious so much that people fell down before them when they saw him. He was able to walk through walls at some point. It sounds as if maybe he teleported at some point. And at the end, he's able to rise up into heaven as his disciples are watching. Well, that's his body that he received at his resurrection. And Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Abraham and Sarah were awaiting a son, Isaac. We are awaiting a savior, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So he rises from the dead in a glorious, perfected, imperishable body. And he says that he will make our bodies like that. We don't have a complete picture of how awesome that will be. We have enough to know that it is going to be amazing. Now let's think when this promise comes true, when you receive a perfected body that never wears out, that can do new things, that doesn't get sick. When you receive that body, what will it feel like? Well, just like Abraham and Sarah, you have been through much adventure and will go through much adventure to get there. If you live a full and long life, you'll spend two thirds of it in decline, your joints getting more and more creaky, your body getting less and less capable, your running times getting slower and slower throughout your life, many twists and turns, a sudden surgery that you had to have, an injury that you didn't expect, a broken bone you didn't expect. And then after all of that adventure, after all of that waiting, maybe some of us 60 years past our prime of aging, Finally, when the Lord says, here is your new body, that long wait will make it more satisfying. Some of us wonder, why do I age for so long? Why, why does this aging process take so long? Why am I getting slower and slower every day? Well, when you get your new body, you will feel all the more satisfied because you had to wait so long for it. And because of those crazy twists and turns that your health has taken over the years, now you'll have a new body. And Jesus will say, no more cancer. I defeated that. You will be in your prime for all of eternity. Your running times, your basketball shots, your athletic abilities, only as far as your diligence can take you for your body will not prevent you through aging anymore from achieving what you desire. How satisfying will that be? Because we have had to endure these fading and earthly frames for so long. So satisfying. Not only that, the second point was we'll feel amazement and wonder, right? There will be things, I mean, there's not full details of what this new body will be like. So we can be confident that whatever it's like, we will be amazed. Will we have the ability to rise up in the air and fly as Jesus did? I don't know. Will we have the ability to just stick out our hands and uproot a tree like, you know, force power and 
plant it on the other side of the field whenever we will. I don't know, but whatever we will have, it will be amazing. And we will be filled with just utter disbelief at how can this be? Who would have said that our new bodies will be able to do this? Things we can't even imagine the Lord will give us through that new body. And finally, fully delight. We'll feel full delight in those bodies. How fun is it now to run around and kick a ball and make things with your friends and make music together with your body or do a craft or to build something in your backyard or to cook something wonderful? These things are so fun, what we can do with our body. How much more delighted will we be in a perfected and glorified body doing these things? So when that one promise comes true, we will feel all three of those things, a long-awaited satisfaction, utter amazement, and complete delight. And that's just one of many, many promises. Let's flip over to Revelation 21 for a minute. It's going to be on the last page or two of your Bible. So not only will we dwell in new bodies when Jesus comes for us, but the whole earth and heavens will be made new. There are problems in creation, right? Weeds and all kinds of frustrations. They'll be gone. New heavens and new earth. Here's what it says. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And skipping down to verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So it's not just our bodies that will be new. We will dwell in them in a new creation. What is that going to feel like? Well, it'll have that long-awaited satisfaction. How long have you gardened and had to pull weeds? Just add up how many decades you may spend in your life pulling weeds in your yard and your garden. That will lead to so much satisfaction when you live in a new world where there is not one single weed. How difficult is it to to build things and to, to just live life when catastrophic storms come, when microscopic viruses change all of our plans? There is so much in creation that just messes up everything we are doing, gives us all sorts of twists and turns, but how satisfying will it be when he makes creation new and says, I have taken care of those things. The former things have passed away. You live now in a new earth. And nowadays in this world, we are amazed at some of the glory that is revealed in creation. The Grand Canyon, the Great Barrier Reef, they're amazing things. You stand before some of them. I never have, but I've only seen pictures. And it's just amazement. How much more will you feel amazed at just how unbelievable and beautiful this new creation will be? How many grander canyons will there be? How many greater barrier reefs will there be in the new creation? And how full of amazement will we be? And how full of delight will we be? As either the weather is perfect or our bodies are able to handle any weather and it doesn't matter, but somehow all of this will add up to great happiness and perfection in his coming kingdom. Another promise comes on the next chapter in chapter 22, verse 5. says this, night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, 
For the Lord God will be their light, and here it is, they will reign forever and ever. Another promise Jesus gives to you is a position of authority in this kingdom he is building. New body, new heavens, new earth, new capital city of Jerusalem. And there or somewhere in creation, his church will reign with him. That means we're going to rule. We're going to receive crowns of authority and rods and scepter of authority to rule over the animals, over the plants, over the earth, over even the heavenly creatures who will come and they will put themselves before us and say, what can we do for you? Uh, The parable of talents makes it sound as if there will be some kind of rank. Some of us will rule over each other as well based on how well we steward what is given to us. But all of us will rule over all creation, including even the heavenly creatures. Now, some of you for your whole lives have been looked down upon and despised, perhaps mistreated at work or in your homes. Some of you have put up with frustrating bosses and thought, oh, if only I could do the job, I would do so much better. Some of you had to wait so long. How satisfying after being looked down upon for decades and decades, will it be to have some winged heavenly creature or some fiery heavenly creature come before you and bow down and call you sir or ma'am and say, is there anything I can get for you today? That'll be a long time coming, but it'll come. How amazing will it be to rule in this kingdom? And how full of delight will we be when we are given wisdom to lead and rule well? Can you see how we'll feel the same things Abraham and Sarah felt when Jesus comes for us? There's one more blessing that I want to give to you. One more promise that I want to make clear to you. Because the truth is all of those promises would be for naught if it weren't for this last one. Living in a new body, in a new creation, where the position of authority would eventually become boring in eternity if it weren't for this last one. Let's flip back to chapter 21. And I'll read verses three and four, which I skipped earlier. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The greatest promise of all that Jesus gives to us is his very self. Of all the blessings we will have on that coming day when our faith becomes our sight, the best one is that God will be with us. How will it be on that day? How long Have we come to church and said, God, would you make your presence here? And at times we feel his presence and at times we do not feel his presence, but we never get to be with him in the flesh, right? How much better will it feel when we are with him in the flesh, when he stands before us in all of his glory? That will be long awaited satisfaction, so much more even than Abraham and Sarah felt after 25 years and finally having a son. How long have many of us sat in our rooms and said, God, I'm suffering. Would you be with me right now? I could make it through if you would just give me some sense of your presence in this trial. And sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. He's always there, but sometimes we don't get to sense it and feel it. How satisfying will it be when he is there before us, not just in the, in the spirit, but in the body. And he says, my dwelling place is with you forever. 
how amazed with disbelief will we be when we see him and we thought, I knew he was glorious. I did not know that he was that glorious. We'll be like Sarah saying, who would have thought, who would have said that he was this amazing? And our hearts will burst with delight. We will finally be with the one for whom our soul longs. How happy will we be? I hope you can see something here. There's one thing we must see and one thing we must do in all of this. I hope you can see how worthy this Jesus is of all of your trust, of all of your obedience, and all of your worship. There is one thing you must do, and it is to give to him those things, all of your trust, all of your obedience, and all of your worship, your heart aflame for him. Let's pray together.